1: America welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now, here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz.
2: Good morning, everybody. Listen, guys, did you ever go and see a speaker at a presentation or a convention or a company meeting, and you said after you watched that speaker, boy, he or she owned the room? Well, today I have guests who can teach you how to own the room. In fact, that's the name of their book that's going to be released on September 18th. And I have the authors of Own the Room, Deborah Shames and David Booth. Welcome.
3: Welcome. Good morning.
2: Well, good morning to both of you. I'm really excited to have you as guests because you do public speaking for a living and you coach people to be great public speakers for a living. I figured I could just kind of press, say one little word, and then you'll just carry on the rest of the show.
4: All too often, that's, that's the case. That's what we do.
2: And it's wonderful for me because I could just start and then I could, you know, snooze for the 12 minutes that you have to talk about the book and um, then come back and break for commercial and, and snooze again. But, no, it's, it's hardly that. You have a very exciting topic. And I want to tell my listeners that you both are, you, you have a company called Eloquy. And eloquy, presentation and communication training really teaches people how to bring out the best of themselves and share that and amplify that and connect with audiences, which I think today is a very, very important skill to have. Wouldn't you both agree?
3: (laughs) Absolutely. It's more communication skills than public speaking because we all speak to generate business, whether it's networking or with a client to cross-sell or market us to additional clients. And even when you're at a social event and you talk about what you do, that's communication, that's what we based our company on.
2: Right, and you've helped so many people, and we're very, very excited that you've captured all of this in a book, and I told you both that I will be repetitive (laughs) in the promotion of it because I'm personally very excited about it, and it's called Own the Room and it's published by McGraw-Hill, and you both must be very excited.
4: Oh, we really are. It took about four and a half years because we luckily and fortunately have been busy in our work, and we always wanted to produce the book, but uh, but we just really didn't have the time, so we finally took periods of time and went away to different places and had concentrated efforts and uh, were able to, to pull the book together.
2: Right. And, and, and it's very, very exciting, and it will be available in bookstores and through Amazon, and isn't there a special website that you've developed for the book as well?
3: There is. It's called com. and here's the good part. If you go to Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Borders, and you want to purchase an advanced copy, they all discount them by about 30% before the September 18th release.
2: Oh, that's fantastic. You, I mean, in this economy, I think that if you really want to break through the clutter, um, that's those. Are, it's the creme de la creme that's going to get chosen for a position or referred business. If you don't have if you don't glow, (laughs) you're just going to sort of sink to the bottom and, you know, lose opportunities. So it's very, very important. So please go out and get the book, Own the Room, and um, we're going to talk about some basic communication skills that are talked about in the book, and I'm going to turn over the show to Deborah and David, and I'm going to ask them, the make-or-break skills needed to win a pitch or a beauty contest. What are they? Well, number one, you
3: need to set yourself apart. So we ask people to be introspective and look at what they bring to the table that no one else does. What are your differentiators? Where did you go to school? What other businesses did you did you have? Um, where? Who were your mentors? Where did you travel? Once you have your differentiators, you want to drop that in the pitch so that you don't sound like everybody
4: else. And I think also what a lot of people don't think about, and this is this is our application from the, the world of entertainment and especially theater and repertory ensembles, is that everyone on that pitch team shares one clear, specific, actionable intention. And that intention everybody works from, and that's that's your playbook. And everything is devised out of that so that they know that the very clear outcome that everybody wants. It makes it more achievable and it puts it right in everybody's sights.
3: Then you have to hand off efficiently if you're on a team. Now, individually is another story. We can go into that later, Cindy. But team presenting will model how you will work for that client. So if you hand off well, if you do, if you listen to your partner, if you encourage them and have their back, then the potential client looks at your team and says, this is how they're going to work when we hire them.
4: The other thing is assignment of roles, and uh, people often don't think about this as well. They think, "Well, oh, in the company, I'm the I'm the CEO, and you're the you're the uh, head of sales, and you know you're the VP." And so, of course, that 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 determines how much or what we say, and it really isn't the case at all. Once people have a clear intention, then they figure out who is the best facilitator in that group they become the facilitator for that pitch the other person might be the visionary might be a mobilizer depending upon the audience and the intention and once you have those those roles clearly defined you're really exhibiting what you want in the pitch what you want the client or potential client to see in your actual work
2: is there a chapter that dedicated to group presentations opposed to individual is that how it's broken down
3: Yes that's yes. one of the, that's one of our sweet spots that nobody else talks about is team presenting because often you have two type a personalities and they go in and they're both powerhouses and they overtalk each other or as David said you have the CEO and they do all the talking and nobody else participates so we have a whole chapter on team presenting about how to divide up the roles, how to hand off, how to model what repertory theaters know from the theater in terms of ensemble acting.
4: And I don't want to jinx it, but to this date, we have worked with firms mm-hmm. as, as widespread as architecture, investment, banking, space science, uh, publishing, and not a one of those pitch teams has lost their pitch, and it really is based upon team presenting and everything that we put in the Own the, own the Room chapter on team presenting.
2: So eloquy is batting a thousand <laughs> so, so far. <laughs> oh, that's, I, I think that's wonderful. I, you know, I, and it's very, very important. So often we see teams of people, um, you know, presenting together, and it's not choreographed well. And one of the things that I want to point out to our listeners today is that you both have the backgrounds that really make you perfect as coaches in this group facilitation role, because. David, you were an actor and you know, and and were working, you know, in show business for for many years and know how all of the different players have to sort of play together to make a great production and, and Deborah, you came from the directing side so you know that as well. It's as if you're putting together a television program every time you're talking to people that's just seamless, huh?
4: Yes. Well, Deborah had so much uh, experience in directing film and television and and public TV, which was a lot of the interview format programs, which really work for our clients, any of them that have to to go on media of different sorts. But a lot of the things that I learned in working with repertory theaters is that a really top-level ensemble, like the Berkeley Rep, American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco, those people do eight shows a week. And they only have a few weeks to rehearse a show while they're performing yet another show. So you have to have an incredible amount of technique to be able to keep your A game up every week for eight shows a week and then be able to put together another production as well. And so a lot of what we're talking about with team presenting was translated from that.
3: And, of course, there's so much stress when you're in a beauty contest and and it's a make or break for you to either sell a concept or win the the position or win the job, that it's essential to have techniques as opposed to winging it. And most of our clients, well, at least before they work with us, spend all their time on the content and not on the delivery. We believe it should be a nice 50-50 mix. Yes. Know your content, but make sure your delivery is top-notch.
4: Well, and to that end, and also to bring back in our entertainment background, is that we think unless people rehearse whether you're an investment bank, an insurance firm, an ad agency, unless you really rehearse that pitch like performers do. You want to iron out all the wrinkles. You may figure out someone that you put in a specific role like the motivator. Maybe they're a better facilitator, and so you switch those around. That all happens in rehearsal, and you really get smooth and fluid, which is where you want to be on your opening night, which is your pitch day.
3: It's the same with the Olympics. Just recently and again at the last Olympics, our fastest runners lost, didn't make it to the finals because they couldn't pass the baton, they dropped the baton. So it wasn't about their speed or in business. It's not about how much you know. It's how smoothly do you hand off to one another, and that can be the make-or-break element.
2: No, and that makes a lot of sense. It's a very That's a, that's a dramatic example. Of how something that 's really, really gigantic didn 't get pulled off quite right because a very important symbol symbolic element wasn 't rehearsed right i mean absolutely, absolutely.
4: And, and if you think about that, if you translate that into a pitch, say say it is uh, an investment bank and they 're going into for the beauty contest to sell a company, they may have like the running team uh, the very fastest, smartest people on the block in in that business. But if they can't exhibit during the pitch those smooth, fluid handoffs that show the client how they're going to behave down the line and doing the deal for selling that company, then that client is thinking, mm, they just seem a little clunky. They don't seem very collegial. There's not enough respect in here. And maybe that VP isn't as strong as that managing director and they start to lose the confidence, and they will then lose the beauty contest because if they haven't rehearsed those handoffs enough.
2: Uh, I, I think that's a good point. We're about to take a commercial break, so I'm going to slowly wrap up this segment. Um, but I, I think that you know you should definitely get into the, you know, the Olympic Committee. To make that case now so that you're secured for the next Olympics so that you could coach them how to avoid this little faux pas next time, don't you agree?
4: Without question.
2: <laughs> Without a doubt. We'll listen. A We're going to take a break. Own the Room will be available um, on September 18th and we have the authors on the show Deborah Shames and David Booth. Please stand by and we'll be back with them in a minute. <laughs>
1: Are you ready for some football? Well, here it comes. The Owen Hodge Show is bringing you the funniest hour in sports talk radio. This action packed show is hosted by the outspoken fullback, Big Hodge, and the knowledgeable defensive back, Odie. Is there truly a lesson in every situation? Can you learn from another person's experiences, or are lessons learned when they only happen to you? Dave Pelzer, number one national and number one international best-selling author, challenges listeners to stand tall, to be accountable no matter what the setbacks, and to recommit to enhancing their lives, as well as assisting others around them. Listen to The Dave Pelzer Show every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Radio Network
5: stimulating talk it gets those
1: synapses
5: in your brain inspired really fast. all the time the number one internet talk station where your opinion counts Voiceamerica.com
4: icon.
1: Oh welcome back to stars of pr with cindy r If you have a question or comment, call in at 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Here's Cindy Rakowitz.
2: We're back, everyone, and I hope you're enjoying the show. It's very informational, very, very relevant. The authors of Own the Room, which will be available um, on September 18th through um, bookstores and Amazon, and we're talking to the authors Deborah and David Deborah Shames and David Booth from Eloquy Presentation and Communication Training Company. Um, So in the first segment, to catch everybody up, we were talking about group presentation coaching and facilitation and how important it is to assign roles to everybody in the group and choreograph it in advance as if you're preparing for a Broadway show um, and that way it'll come off finished and everybody will look like they're professional team players and, indeed, it will be the kind of team that somebody might want to hire or work with. Do you um, have anything to add about group facilitation skills before we go into individual? Yes. The facilitator, when
3: they first come into the room should say why this particular team was assembled. Say, I brought in Joe because we know that web design is important to you and Joe has a specialty in that area. We brought in Mary because she's great at at networking skills and we know you're looking to develop that skill within your company. That's what the facilitator does. Also, the facilitator keeps the, the agenda on track. And as soon as they see that the potential client has a question or a comment, she or he stops the whole process and opens it up for the client to ask their question. That's the role of the facilitator.
4: And, and it's one of those things that we know from cognitive science. They're called orienting statements. And it literally means that, that you, or as, the, as the audience, as that prospective client, you know what's happening, why people are in the room, and where the presentation is going to go. And it it really is invaluable for people, and it also means that you have taken the care and have the concern to assemble this team just for them, and that cannot ever be underestimated.
3: The other thing that you want to do is have prepared client anecdotes Uh, because selling doesn't work, especially in this economy. If you say, we are the best and we'd really like to work with you or we'd like to do this for you, you're actually distancing yourself as opposed to giving examples of how you solved similar problems for other clients. And so you want those anecdotes ready to go, ready to pull out when you need them because that will be your strongest, most persuasive way of closing the deal.
4: And in case you're curious, Cindy, yes, we do have a chapter in the book just devoted to narrative and client anecdotes. And we have templates for those because it, they're... War stories are simple entertainments that people tell one another unless they're put into a template that specifically drives business, gives clear and concrete ideas about how your process works and how you function.
2: Well, give us an example of some of the anecdotes from the templates um, that might be interesting.
3: Well, instead of giving actual examples, since we really believe what we can do best is bring out someone else's authenticity and credibility. We'll, we'll tease how you tell a client anecdote. And one of the things is to always start with the obstacle or challenge that your client was facing. Not a lot of context, not a lot of wind-up. What was the challenge or obstacle? Then in the middle part of your story, because you want these anecdotes to be brief, you demonstrate, you give active verbs of how you solve the problem. So instead of saying, I worked with or I helped the client, we want to know that you researched, you designed, you implemented, you executed, and use three of these to give a real example of how you function. And then the third part of the anecdote is, what's the benefit to the client, and then what is the unexpected benefit? You can then shorten these anecdotes to be 30 seconds to 2 minutes.
4: They give everything that you need. These, these completely supplant any need to say, we've been in the business for 20 mm-hmm. years, we are the number one wholesaler on the west coast of, da And all of those things that people really don't care about because there's no context. They can't see them, they imagine them. But when you give them in the, in the, in the context of this obstacle solution benefit template that Deborah was outlining, it's very clear, it's very sharp, and we find that that is one of the best ways either an individual or a group can bring a, bring a pitch around and be able to really win.
2: Right. It gives a personality demonstration as well. It shows depth. It, you know, you can, just like slideshows alone, can be horribly boring. I mean, you're not really selling a slideshow. You're selling yourself and what your abilities are, Um, The color commentary and the anecdotes are just as important as not just reading from a slide presentation, I would imagine. Well, we have a whole chapter on
3: PowerPoint, how to revive it, because it can actually numb your audience and put them right to sleep.
2: Yeah, And so
3: you have to have the same communication skills with your PowerPoint as you do for team presenting or telling a client anecdote.
2: I think that's true. Well, tell me what qualities make a speaker likable and memorable? I think we've touched upon them, but if we did, let's just summarize.
4: Sure, and, and these really came from a, a study uh, because they were trying to break down, the experts were trying to break down, what are those things? Is it, is it humor? Is it movement? Is it eye contact? Is it warmth? All of those things that are good qualities, but those are not the prime qualities to make a speaker likable.
3: The very first thing is a speaker or a communicator reveals something about themselves or their take on a subject in their opening remarks. That way we know who you are, we know how you think, and then we can decide if we're on board with you or not. The other thing that makes a speaker likable and memorable is that they always tailor their talk to the audience. No one likes to think they're hearing a canned, a generic presentation. So you've got to customize it and tailor it to your audience.
4: And that really means digging down to think about and researching who that audience is, even if it's a widespread in terms of the demographic or the industry background, and come up with specific examples and challenges that those people in the audience would be facing. If you're speaking to law firms, then you have to talk about the problems facing law firms that your business can solve and has solved for other law firms. You have to be very specific about that in order to really get buy-in and, and get people's interest.
3: In fact, you can make an assumption about law firms and about the problems they're facing because even if you're wrong, the potential client will then debate with you, And but they're engaged, so you're into a dialogue. No one likes to hear the generic, oh, we solved a problem, oh, we're creative, oh, we work 24-7, we care about you. Those have no traction. You want to be as specific as possible.
2: Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's very very good point. So many people think that they can just talk at people rather than to talk with people and engage, and that is such a mistake. Particularly while things are becoming more and more interactive technologically. Yes, um, I think that. Uh, decision makers are looking for people to prompt interactivity at this time. And if you just stand there pedantically and talk at people, even if you're very eloquent in your speaking, you're not going to connect. They might as well just be looking at, um, you know, an animated picture, right? Or an animated one.
3: (laughs) I get get so excited. You bring up such a good point because especially in person – What's most important isn't your speaking, it's your listening, it's your digging for specifics, it's really asking whoever you're in front of what they care about, what's going on with them, and then incorporating their answers uh, yes, into what you have to say in terms of promoting the services that you offer. So active queuing and listening is an essential form of communication and we forget that when someone just talks at us.
4: Well, you're also talking about, uh, Cindy was mentioning interactivity, and all cognitive science studies that we have seen in the last five years all agree with you in that they rated people, college professors, lecturers of all kinds, on who were the most effective, who were the most liked, who were the most highly rated, and and all those areas, and they said the to to a person, People said, the one, the college professor that allows me to speak and interact and give my ideas, those are the ones I like the best. You translate that same thing to speakers, it goes back to team presenting, it goes back to somebody, an individual doing a presentation. And the, more le- the higher level of interactivity that you can engender within that talk, pitch, or presentation, the more people are going to like you and think you're good.
3: Well, and there's something else, too, in terms of retention of material Uh, there's the old saying that we remember 10% of what we hear, 20% of what we read, but 80% of what we say and do. So you need interactivity to work a new concept or skill into your muscle memory, into what you do.
2: Right, and it's all practice, 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 isn't it? It, You talked about the importance of assigning roles in our first segments and... um, you know, everybody being familiar with their roles and how they interact together. And then at the end, it's really about rehearsal, isn't it? You can't just stand up there and expect for everything to be perfect unless you've gone through it a couple of times. Uh, A couple of things. We don't want anybody to be perfect. Better for you to be a little
3: rough around the edges and authentic and so that we as an audience or client believe that you are speaking to us on that day, as opposed to this is something you've rehearsed and, and it's so smooth and polished that you've given it a hundred times before. But in addition, if you're presenting alone, if someone says, okay, Deborah, you have to report to your team next week, or Steve, you're, you know, you're going to report to the board of director, directors next month, we believe that you need an outline to follow and then to rehearse it. But the way to not have your rehearsal sound canned or generic, is to change up the wording and phrases each time you rehearse it. Because as humans, after we say something a couple of times, it gets into uh, our memory and it starts sounding canned. The only way to avoid that is to change up the wording and phrases each time you rehearse it, but definitely rehearse it.
2: All right, that's a, I think that's a good point. We're going to have to take um, another commercial break. Please stand by to talk More with the authors of Own the Room, which will be available on September 18th. Stand by.
1: And the Voice America Sports Network.
5: No whining. You heard me. No whining. Now that I have your attention, it's time to listen up and tune in to Wine Time with January Jones. The program is homemaker humor combined with common sense to help people of all ages and all stages of life face life with positive humor and hope. January will interview an eclectic group of guests, including authors, celebrities, teachers, motivational speakers, sports figures, and more. Wine Time with January Jones can be heard Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, Noon Eastern, Voice America, streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
1: Pop oh Get free advice from crisis communications guru Cindy Rakowitz now. Call 866-472-5788. Let's get back to Stars of PR. Here's the host and CEO of PR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz.
2: I hope that everybody has been tuning in and enjoying the show because the tips here are extremely valuable about how to speak correctly, how to break through the clutter, how to connect with an audience and talking about um, own the room which is a new book that will be released on September 18th. And we have the authors Deborah Shames and David Booth. And in the last segment, we were talking about something very, very interesting. It's important to rehearse, but you don't want to seem rehearsed. So it's not a matter of just rehearsing that so that you seem to be, um, you know, just sort of, talking in reading from a script and knowing it by heart. You have to be able to know it in your soul so that you could improvise in addition to having the context and combine the two because you never want to seem like you are overly um, rehearsed in terms of giving a show-and-tell presentation like a first grader. Am I right?
4: Absolutely. There, There is a... Um... The, the best rehearsal technique and the way to absorb the material that you're going to present is is to, first of all, figure out what the gist of it is. Really get the gist. Know, know what it is you're saying and where you're going. I'm often reminded of Anthony Hopkins mentioned... Uh, one time they said, How, how, you, you make things up on the set, uh, Sir Anthony. You do all this stuff where you, you, you improv. You're, you're so loose and free and, and change things up all the time. How do you do that? And he said, Oh, I start by rehearsing the script 300 times, minimum. So he knows exactly, he knows the words because he is an actor and has a script, unlike our business clients, but he's able, by virtue of a lot of multi rehearsal, to be able to change it up and be flexible and fluid, and that's what we want our
2: clients to be. Yes. Well, I no, I understand just to reiterate what you had said in some prior segments, it's you have to combine the content with the intention, right? Yes. So if you know the content you, and you know the intention, you could react to the chemistry of an audience with such confidence and flexibility. That's
3: exactly what I was going to say. Yes.
2: If you have an outline, you can still connect with the room.
3: You can make eye contact. You can be open for questions. If you memorize your presentation, then, first of all, there's no connection and there's no ability to interact with your audience or client.
2: I No. and that's you know, a very, very important point. So let me ask you guys, how, how do you help people make ideas stick? so that clients and audiences remember them. How, how What do you tell them? What are your tips?
3: That is at the essence, at the basis of, of eloquy training. If you speak in specifics as opposed to generalities, your audience or listener will picture along with you what it is you're describing. So instead of saying, oh, we solved a problem, I can't picture that problem. You have to give me some specifics. You have to paint a visual image for it to stick.
4: There's another area, there's an entire area of the brain actually that's devoted to novelty and surprise. It really has to do with self defense, but in a nutshell, what it means is that if you have a statement, you put out a visual, if it's a PowerPoint, you have to do it in a novel way, only slightly novel interesting or creative to first grab the attention of the area uh, attentional area of the brain of the listener and then have them comprehend it so you have to constantly think about not doing things or saying things that you have have heard other people do and say which is kind of contrary to the human condition because we tend to imitate one another
3: the other thing you want to do to to make an idea stick is given association. I think in the Heath Brothers "Made to Stick" book, which we really um, promote and, and, and advocate, uh, they described a pomelo as a large pink grapefruit. And when you have those types of associations, then the listener goes, "Oh, I get it." And as soon as somebody in their mind says, "Oh, I get it," and they run it through the filter of their own experience, you're on the way to making your ideas tactile.
4: And the other the other tools in that what Deborah's talking about are simile, metaphor, and analogs. So if you can tap into what the brain already has in its hardwiring, which is what's it like, it's trying to figure out and make associations to that. Look at look at your material. You'll be way ahead of anybody else if you can say, "Hmm, this insurance coverage is like a." and give that specific visual snapshot. A
3: blanket for your baby, right? Yes. Anything that, what it's like.
4: Yes, and and do analogs. People people love it. People often think, well, you know, I don't want to do something that, that sounds, uh, you know, too colorful or silly, but you don't want to pick the low-hanging fruit. You want to think of a good idea of what this service or product is like, and then you start tapping into a really interesting part of the brain for people.
2: Oh, I, and I understand that. It's a, a part of the brain that will... Uh, it it It's the feeling part of the brain, not just the um, intellectual part of the brain, right? That's it,
3: right. Uh, That's we, right. Exactly. We make decisions emotionally with our right brain first and then back it up with rational intellectual thinking. And in truth, you need both to be persuasive and get buy-in.
4: But you have to tap into that right brain, which is more... It's, it's not so much... Uh, intellect and emotion or the right right brain is really about synthesis so the right brain is the whole idea that's where you start tapping into when you use a simile a metaphor an analog that's really nice that that really makes sense to that right side of the brain and that right side of the brain really is a big influence in decision making
3: and the right brain is also about your values so when we're talking to engineers, we don't say "play on the emotional part of your service." <laughs> we go, "What is the benefit? What are the values that your service brings?"
2: Oh, and I, I, that's like, I think that's a good point. Um, you, I, one of the things that you advocate in, you know, in some of your materials is the fact that an expert doesn't necessarily sell a product. Great point. Yes, an expert approachable. So do you want to elaborate? Yeah
4: okay <laughs> well they're they're as Deborah said, they're not approachable that 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 specific character or role of expert is wonderful if you're an expert witness, if you're on the the stand uh, as as that role, but uh, apart from that, if you think about it, are are you attracted to experts? Do you really want to have a conversation with them? not Not particularly. You want to listen to them and get their expertise and then have them kind of move on. So we look at more collaborative roles that of course have expertise embedded in them, like a trusted advisor, like a mobilizer. They have expertise, but they're much more connective with an audience and client.
3: The other problem with an expert, especially for women, is if we say, well, what do you want to convey, and they say expertise, then what you're probably going to do is give your audience or client too much information. And you're going to have a lot of anxiety because you feel, oh, maybe I'm not expert enough. Maybe someone knows more than I do. So give up the idea that when you speak, you need to be an expert. As David said, you have expertise, but your goal or intention is much more. It's to connect with people. It's to bring out their skills. And that way you don't have that huge judgment or pressure on you to be the expert.
4: And I think that brings up something important, Sandy, that uh, the Deborah's has touched on, the word anxiety. The, the, for public speaking, and really if you look at that, it's public communicating, even in, in a pitch. People get can get very anxious. But one of the things that fuels that anxiety is, is being found out for something you're not. Now, if you are trying to be the expert, it means there's always going to be somebody in the room that's smarter than you smarter than you or has a more advanced knowledge of that particular subject so of course you're going to be feeling anxiety that you're not the smartest person in the room so however forget it
3: if you tell stories and you speak from your authentic place of what's important to you then you're never going to be found out for being
2: a fake Right. uh, Well, honesty is really important for all facets of life, isn't it? (laughs) Sure,
4: and authenticity, because authenticity is another core element that we talk about in in Own the Room and in Eloquy Training because it gives you credibility if you are authentic, and it also mitigates anxiety
2: or stage fright.
3: But if, I think it was George Burns who said, acting is all about honesty, and if you can fake that, you've got it made.
2: Well, I think that's great. Well, we were talking about anxiety for people who are, you know, who have to speak or need to speak, and they are very anxious and have fear. Um, what, what kind of tips do you give them in terms of, you know, curing that anxiety?
4: Well, we are lucky because of our background in the entertainment industry, but also because in, in the book we have a third writer who is Dr. Peter Desberg, and he is a an expert in stage fright. So we've also had him weigh in on the stage fright chapter. So we have a number of things from all those three areas of practice that we bring to people.
3: And it's everything from breathing techniques to sense memory to ha to rehearsing your open so you have it cold, to putting your attention out on the client or audience instead of in on the critic in your head. And then it's, as you said earlier, Cindy, practice, practice, practice. Because part of the problem is that people present so seldom that there's so much writing on each time they get up to speak that the anxiety is heightened. If you do it enough, it diminishes
2: the anxiety. I think that's definitely true. Well, we have to take another commercial break in a moment. Um, so far, we have had we touched upon so many different elements of public speaking. So, if you're coming in and listening now, I encourage everybody to go to the top of the show: www.voiceamerica.com and listen to what the authors of Own the Room have to say. And again, this is going to be available, Own the Room is going to be available on September 18th, and I encourage everybody to look for it on Amazon, in their bookstores, and stand by because we have one more segment with Deborah and David.
1: Voice America's Sports Network.
5: Are you ready to go green? You've asked and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com.
4: Oh Bob
1: Icon! Cindy Rackowitz has won more awards. Then she can hang on her wall, including three Cleos. Call in now at one eight six six four seven two fifty seven eighty eight, 472 5788 and you can have one. Okay, maybe not. But she will answer your questions. Back to Stars of PR with Cindy R.
2: We're back in our final segment talking to the authors of Own the Room, David Booth and Deborah Shames, Eloquii, the Eloqui, the communications and presentation company that really helps you Break through the clutter, get remembered, and get the deal. I just made that up, guys. I hope it's it like an accurate advertisement. <laughs> <That was> great. <laughs> I mean, you can't go wrong with that, right? <laughs> but um, we, were, we were talking about the elements of presentations. We were just finishing up the last segment and talking about anxiety. Is there anything that you guys want to add to anxiety control? Well, I think,
4: here's, here's one, and it, it, you just reminded me of the way you introduced that, that segment. It, it really has to do with play. Uh, people really need to uh, use what actors use in the theater. At some point you think, oh, opening night's coming up, and everybody's starting to get tense and nervous. And then we, what we'll do is we'll rehearse a scene as opera singers in a, in a third-rate opera company in Italy will you know it will will kind of stand everything on its head and so it becomes fun and a little silly and i think people should do that in business presentations when, as they rehearse. Well. when they rehearse when they rehearse so that it takes some of the edge off of it and suddenly you don't think oh i missed that word or i didn't say this exactly right you you just you blow it out a little bit and have fun and it, then it makes it better
3: there's something else too people only care about what is important to them If you target, if you focus on what your client or your audience's needs are, they'll think you're the brightest bulb in the room. And it isn't about you proving yourself so much as you addressing their concerns. When especially women get that concept, it makes a huge difference.
2: I I think that's very true. In this last segment, I want to talk about how... um, you know how public speaking skills in the way that you teach them help you to close the deal. you You mentioned to me that you can you could actually close a deal but never sell. And I found that to be intriguing.
3: Well, there's everything from a call to action where you say, no matter who you choose, make sure that they do a, B, and C. Well, of course we're going to use you, but you're not saying choose me which doesn't work, you're saying these are the things to be aware of. Very important.
4: Well, we also have a section in the, in the book uh, called closings, and it's uh, it's all about uh, closing a presentation, but it's not about the old-fashioned way of asking for the sale, which really comes from sort of the defensive posture and doesn't always get what you want. It tends to put people off. So yes,
3: it can sound desperate and needy. Yeah.
4: so a good closing, people, they're, they're and these, again, are theatrical techniques. But you slow down. You still drive the presentation forward to the end, to the conclusion, while slowing down. But you dial up your certainty and commitment.
3: And then you, do, you could, to close, for example, you can recap your presentation. You can add a, an anecdote at that point. You can bookend, which means coming back to how you started your presentation, but with one new insight Cindy, you've been great about continually promoting Own the Room, which has these closes, uh, available on September 18th. But what Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and Borders has done is given anyone who clicks on their website now an advance price, which I believe is a third off of what it's going to be on September 18th. So if anybody's interested, and they can see a chapter of the book either on the website or on our website, ownthewoombook.com, and then you can see if it's for you.
2: And I think it's great. The discount is valid now. Yes. And it's early sale time, so take advantage of that for sure. Um, okay, so I'm going to go back to a little bit more, um, a couple of more questions before the end, ending of the show. Um, share with us some of the secrets to being approachable in business. We've talked about them before, but let's... If, we've, if you have anything new about being approachable, please share them.
4: Oh, sure. The, now, A lot of this, too, has to come from impression management, yeah. and that's, that's something that we really dip into. We, we, we take the entertainment mix, say, if you were an actor walking out on stage, how, how would you want the audience to perceive your character? It's very much the same way that uh, psychology starts looking at impression management, a- again, thinking very clearly, how do I want to be perceived?
3: And so, have an open posture. Don't cross your arms and legs or get defensive. If you're a man and you want to be seen as approachable, wear a blue shirt. If you're speaking and you want to have your voice clear, stay away from bananas and dairy products, which give your voice a sticky quality.
2: Well, that's important. <laughs> yes, yeah, it, it is. It's about what you eat. Is there a chapter on diet for speaking? <laughs> yes. Well, there's are some tips. For example, if you're voice
3: is dry or there's a lot of light and bad air at a trade show eat a lot of grapes grapes lubricate your vocal folds and make you speak more clearly drink room temperature water not ice water
4: and that's yes we do have an entire chapter on on speaker prep because oftentimes, for people, it's, it's the details that, that can really tank them ah. in, a, in a presentation or a pitch. Now, here's another thing. It's, you think, have to think about the tone of the presentation. How do you want it to feel? And, and so that you're not led by the material, but you can use any material and shape it so that it has a certain feel. That will be carried out in the tone of your voice if you want it to be more dazzling or exciting, you would certainly pick up your pace. Maybe you want to be calm and empathic if you're if you're posing if you're placing yourself forward as a trusted advisor, that trusted advisor has a warm, empathic tone. You really make those selections beforehand and use those in your rehearsal so you get comfortable with that.
2: Oh, I think these are great points, really great points um i want to you know, you you give so many tips to people in our own networking group, Provisors, and there's so many of them that resonate with me, so I just want to say that it's um, really an honor to be in the same group as you guys, and I think... Everybody who are Provisors members get to pick up these little points here and there. Very lucky to have you. <laughs> um, I think that we shared a lot of um, information. We we talked about secrets to being approachable. We ta- We talked about gaining credibility. Do you want to repeat anything about, you know, gaining credibility, even though we touched upon it earlier in the show? Well, you do it. You model it. We give a point, and then you put it into your own words and
3: apply it to your own business. There's nothing better in terms of forming a relationship, developing a connection with someone else. So you model it.
2: Okay. Well, it just shows that you taught me how to listen, huh? (laughs) (laughs)
3: Well, I think there's,
4: there's another thing as well that's very, very important is that we always say to our clients, your life, your experience base is the best source of material that you have. And oftentimes people will separate their personal life and their professional lives in terms of um, actually being able to dip into the material, your library of experience. And one of the things that make you authentic, make you credible, lower your uh, anxiety about being in a presentation, is to be able to use those experiences from your life. Now, you want to make them, of course, brief and to the point. But when you do that, you're...
2: You're authentic.
4: You're you're in great shape to to be able to get through a presentation and convince people.
2: Well and I think that if a person does tend to be nervous, what I've seen you do in talking about these tidbits is I've seen you coach people in how to use their nerves to their advantage and even if they're nervous to say, you know what, I'm a little nervous. I really don't love speaking, it's sort of is an icebreaker, isn't it?
3: Well, Best always to be self-effacing. If you, if you jumble up a, and stumble on something, one of the things you can say is, in English that would be, or, this morning I could speak, or, I've gotta lay off that espresso. And that kind of poking fun at yourself is so good at putting the listener at ease as opposed to drawing attention to your anxiety. And and, you,
2: and I really, I've watched you do that with people so many times, and 100%, just superb. And on that note, we have to end the show. So I want to say one more time that you should look for Own the Room, written by Deborah Shames and David Booth, and it's available on September 18th. And what's the website where they could get that discount now, guys? You can click on any of the three, Barnes & Noble, Borders, or Amazon,
3: or go to our website, owntheroombook.com.
2: Thank you so much for joining the show. I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you, Cindy. Thank a you
1: good Cindy. Thank, Thank pleasure. you.